you're going to, Jeb, if you're going to say words like that, I'm going to have to delay when I actually started the episode. And so I think I've started now. Um, well, just bleep it out. Yeah. And end well, the belch I just gave you. Yeah. I, oh, I didn't. I'm, belches I cut out, uh, but uh, mostly uh, listeners. Well, just, take the, just take the whole thing out. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I don't think that this is a terribly, I wouldn't call this plane ugly necessarily. Uh, but. It's definitely unusual. Um, it looks like uh, an OV-10 Bronco, okay. a 727, <laughs> and a Cessna Skymaster had an orgy. <laughs> yeah, okay. I thought you were going to say they had a midair where they all remained flying. No, there, uh, there's definitely some cross-pollination involved. Uh, this is a... Uh, uh, an M15 Belfiger. M- M- oh, M- okay, M50. I thought it was M15. Never mind. No, no, it appears to be M fifty M dash one five Belfegor, which might you're be not, a bleep right there. You're not you're not pronouncing correctly. <laughs> I don't know. How do you say it? How do you say it? I don't know either. Oh, okay. Well then I might be right. Chances David, are. David knows all this stuff. David, how do you say the name of this airplane? Belfajor. Bel say it again, I'm sorry? Belfajor. Belfajor. The G is J. Okay, all right, okay. The M fifteen Belfajor. Like Jeff. Like yeah okay, um, <laughs> all right, all right. It's going to be and, one of those and, episodes, and, is it? And, and, and anyone who speaks Russian is free to correct me. Yeah. It, oh okay. Oh gee, my goodness. There's all kinds of passive aggressiveness going on here this morning. Um, Come at me. Come at me. Except this uh, Belfajor uh, is described as a government-designed crop duster, which I be honest with you, I hadn't noticed that until just this second. All right. Um, I just seeing that airplane doing crop dusting, especially at low level. Maybe it's a high level crop duster of some sort. But uh, so let me describe it for people who are looking at the picture. Um, yeah, uh, uh, OV ten Bronco um, fuselage kind of thing. Um, it's it's so the main wings is wings. It's a biplane. Um, it is uh, not equal size. There's a word for this in the biplane world, David. What is it when it, when the wings are the same, not the same length, nor on the same line? What's it called? Come on, I'm not sure. I can't tell how the wings are mounted, but I think the word you're looking for is staggered. Stagger wing. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes. So uh, yeah, the lower wing is forward of the upper wing. Right. So the, lo- the lower yeah. wing is not as long. Has doesn't have as much wingspan, and it is slightly forward. Um, it um, the the lower wing attaches it is basically a low wing configuration to the fuselage. The then centered on the top of the fuselage is a great big engine, which I presume is a fan jet or a jet of some sort. Um, there are these two pylony things out on the lower wing where if it were a twin engine aircraft that's where the engines might be but these pylons which are kind of fat and kind of big um go stand up and then there's an upper wing mounted across the tops of the pylons there's also diagonal struts and the upper wing is is slightly back of the lower wing and and broader wingspan and then the tip struts say it again strut lift Lift struts struts. those big those big uh pylon looking things yeah those are the hoppers yeah oh those are the tanks for the for the uh the, the crop dusting yeah okay all right yeah. okay that makes sense that actually makes sense that's okay and then the uh and then the empennage is uh uh sort of this is also it, a biplane right? it's it also it's also ov10 
Yeah, well, it's, it's also a Bronco. Because it, yeah. it has both twin vertical and it appears to have twin horizontal elements. Um, so, uh, well, it has an upper uh, horizontal. Uh, let me back up. The horizontal stabilator, stabilizer is mounted at the top of the two fins, the two um, uh, vertical stabilizers. Mm-hmm. And the vertical stabilizers are mounted on booms <clears throat> that uh, extend back from the hoppers underneath. I see it now, the yeah. There's wings. another picture that you can yeah. see it better. Yeah, yeah. okay. So it's yeah. not a twin horizontal on the tail. It's just a – but it's yeah. a, sort of a, a higher high tail. Yeah. It's an yeah. odd airplane. There's no question about There's it. There's no question. It's an odd airplane. Yeah. Um, that's what happens when you try to build something for a specific purpose. Yeah. Well, I love the uh-huh. quote down here in the uh, story on the uh, popular mechanics site. Is the PZL M15 Belfajor the world's slowest jet or the world's heaviest biplane? <laughs> it's, a, it's an spoiler, interesting airplane. Spoiler, it was both. <laughs> uh are there, does the story say whether there's any of these still flying? I think it implies that there are not. I think the, the uh, um, uh, doesn't say. I haven't seen anywhere in here that uh, uh, it's still in use. Yeah, I. You know, to be honest uh, with you, if it weren't for the if it weren't for these hopper tank things that are in, uh, left and right between the two main wings. I think this might actually be an interesting looking airplane. I mean, I, you know, it's like in, in your mind's eye, remove those tanks, and I think it becomes a much different looking airplane. Um, and well, imagine if you made those tanks fuel supply. What a long distance runner that would be. Yeah, especially since it apparently only seats two, if and maybe only one. Um, it's a, it's seats, a another, seats three. Oh, does it really? Okay, because yeah. the uh, the second pic- so there's a second picture here that shows a model of this on on a pylon uh, in a static display, and uh, it makes it look it makes the fuselage look very narrow. Um, but uh, well, no, and, and, yeah. it, and it was designed to be a replacement for a very successful uh, biplane, the Antonov An two. Wait, was which are, are still flying? Lots of them today. Yeah, I know, but wait a minute. Which came first? The, the Antonov. Now, according to the caption, the, wait a minute. The, the, the M15 apparently, what I gleaned from this was the M15 was developed to replace the AM2. I'm, I'm reading it more carefully now, and I yeah. stand corrected. Yes, yeah. that, that is what it says here. Yeah. Um, and I, But I agree, the Antonov. So, yeah, the, the AN2 Antonov um, is... Uh, uh, is very cool. There used to be one, maybe still is, um, at Livermore Airport in California, which is one of the airports where I used to hang out from time to time. Um, I, I remember one day I was walking up and down the rows of hangars, and, and there was one particular hangar door that was kind of partly open, so it was a little bit dark in there. And I'm kind of glancing in as I'm walking down the down the, the, the taxiway, um, and I see there's some sort of big airplane in there. And I look go look more closely, and I go, holy crap, that's an Antonov AN2. Look at it. Um, um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm told that it became airworthy. I may or not have been airworthy at the time that I saw it, but uh, um, it's uh, that's a big airplane. I think I didn't get to go in it, as I recall. I got to stick my because there was somebody there, and I said, "May I come in the hangar and and take a look?" And he says, "Sure, come on." And I stepped in the hangar and stuck my head in, in the in the passenger drawer, which is kind of halfway down the fuselage on the side. Um, anyways, uh, the Antonov is is a cool airplane. Um, Huge and slow, and yeah. carries a load. Uh, 
And there used to be an operation in uh, Missouri, not uh, too far west of uh, St. Louis, that was using an AN-2 as a jump plane. And uh, I think they could, I think they could pour twenty-one jumpers out of that thing. I wouldn't be surprised. It is a big airplane, and uh, they were all probably ready to get out by that time. <laughs> no, no, the Antonov was a cool airplane. I mean, it was a different era, a different technology, but uh, but you know, for its era, for its technology, I think it was a cool airplane. The fact that there's still any of them flying is is, is a quite a quite a uh, compliment to it, if you ask me. Um, um, well, and this story says uh, the uh, the AN two was a. Uh, Turboprop, and I've never seen one that was a turboprop. Uh, I've a, seen several of them. Turbo prop. Were, yeah, A and two originally was not a turboprop. It might have been re-engined. Right? Yeah, that's what I. Because the photo I'm looking at, yeah, uh, that's a big yellow engine. airplane. I, I believe is still a round engine. I, I yeah, that I mean I'm sure, I, I'd be willing to put, I'd put money on that's the way it was originally. I agree with Jeb. Uh, you know, so they'd do the whole. Oh, absolutely! You know. Originally, it would uh, uh, that had. I can't remember a Vendenyev engine. Mm-hmm. This one that's in this Antonov that's in the picture is a pretty airplane. This is. Uh, um, well, for an Antonov AN2, yeah. No, I think, well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very pretty example of the aircraft. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. I like it. I, I uh, um, It's cool. Anyways, okay. Well, so ugliest airplane in the world? I, I wouldn't call it the ugliest airplane in the world. Those funky tanks are weird. But if it weren't for the tanks, I think it would actually be a pretty interesting-looking airplane. Um, and uh, it's it's apparently called a Belfajor listeners straighten us out here let us know what's going on here speaking of russia and i did this is totally coincidental i didn't really intend consciously put these two russian subjects side by side. Are us. i know huh uh we got a uh, actually it wasn't an email it was a uh, comment left on our patreon page from listener sergey uh sergey is um apparently from uh, located in in russia in moscow um and uh, welcome good to hear from you uh he writes let's see now um uh, he bemoans the fact of the form. L- let me do a bit of podcast administrative ministrivia here, all right, just to kind of publicly acknowledge that the UCAP forums are kind of pretty much defunct. Um, you, they may, I, I haven't even been there in a long time. They might still work. It's been on my list for some time now to come up with some sort of replacement alternative so that listeners could leave comments. Um, but uh, it, it's, you know, I, I, and, and Jeff Ward may still look at the comments from time to time, but I, I confess that I do not. Um, so Sergey says that he wasn't able to post anything in the comment in the forums so he decided to leave it on the patreon page which is a perfectly good solution at least sure. in the interim um, because i do look at the uh, comments that come in on the patreon page um, also email is a good way to get in touch with this podcast in uncontrolled airspace that that gets noticed right away as well anyways uh he says hi guys he says my congratulations on your 14th anniversary thank you sergi uh and uh, he says time went by so quickly he says listen to each and every episode uh but uh, and then he he talked about he wants to comment on one particular episode here. Um, he basically and I'm not going to try and read this entire thing, but um, he so we've over the years have talked from time to time about I think what we've talked about was this scene. There's a video floating around that's clearly kind of just this funky parody kind of thing about an airplane with a defective nose gear um, landing its nose in the bed bed of a 
pickup truck racing down the down the runway. Um, and there have been a couple of other um, uh, similar kinds of videos that are either movie things or, or um, and I and I guess we may have talked at some point about whether this was actually done in real life, whether it was even doable in real life. And uh, Sergey calls our attention to a piece of video that he's given us a YouTube link to um, that uh, is kind of interesting. Um, it is a uh, it, it it's not he doesn't claim that it's real. He doesn't claim that it's real in terms of being documentary or a news story. Um, he suggests that it's real in that the movie makers here actually did this stunt and uh, and that it's not like CG and and I'm inclined to think that it that's correct. Um, so it appears to be um, like I don't know an episode from a TV show. It's in Russian as part of the problem. We can't read it. Um, uh, and so um, and it's not only not only is the text of the YouTube video in Russian, but the voices in the video are speaking Russian. Um, so we, you know, but you kind of watch through it, and and the story appears to be um, a returning aircraft with gear problems and the drama surrounding the efforts to save the lives of the I'm being dramatic here because a gear up landing I think just would have been a perfectly fine solution that would have solved this whole problem maybe if you but could understand but they wouldn't have had the 20 minutes of video well that yeah I mean no it adds to the drama for sure and it's and it's it, it appears to be an interest now the watching the video I, I and again we can't read the text so we don't know um, but just to give you the context um, it, it has to me the feel of a like a 1950s TV episode um just as black and white you know that kind of i don't know what but whatever that's the at least a u.s tv episode and i can't speak to the to the you know eras of of russian tv there has to be a Sky King episode out there, right? It, it's very Sky Kingish in terms of its it, 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 the feel of the of the video. Yes. Um, my first question now is, what is that airplane? Because I didn't recognize that airplane. It's an IO fourteen. An IO fourteen. Illusion fourteen. I L. I L. Excuse me. Illusion. Is that how I say that? How do you say that, David? Illusion, right? Illusion. Illusion. Okay. Um, so it's a. Uh, uh, it looks. It's kind of DC three ish. Am I correct in that? It's a. It's a, a big tail dragger. Um, it's Martin a tricycle four, gear. Martin Martin four oh four ish. Okay. What yeah. does that mean, Jeb? Yeah. Uh, in what way? Describe the aircraft. Just kind of give me its. It's, it's general. a. It's a mid size piston twin, I think. Um, yeah. With tricycle land, tall tricycle landing gear. Oh, it's tricycle. I guess I don't know. See, I only watched it once, and I missed that. I, I, that didn't because it looks so DC three ish to me. I, th- I thought tail dragger, but okay. Uh, now, now you mention it, though. You're right. I do remember. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm not looking at the video right now because I don't want to do weird things to my system. But uh, so, anyways, um, big drama, talking back and forth, lots of shots from the tower, people talking on microphones, um, and uh, and the way they decided to solve this problem. And so basically the right main gear did not extend. Um, so it's got a nose gear and a left gear. And the way they decided to solve this problem was to pile a bunch of apparently soft stuff. I don't know it was vehicle tires or whatever in the back of a truck. Um, and uh, and then with the truck, <laughs> the truck not merely driving down the runway, by the way, driving down the runway with a, a second person standing on the ru- driver's side running board um, talking to the driver apparently probably talking the driver through how to line up with the aircraft is my my sense of it and uh 
And if you start the video at around eight minutes, and I don't know if you guys have actually gotten this far yet, but around eight minutes is when the actual thing happens, and the uh, the aircraft comes in and uh, and 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 it, and it kind of catches up with the truck. It's touched down on its one wheel, one main gear. Um, it finally lines up with the truck, and the right wing then settles down onto this pile of relatively soft stuff in the back of the truck, and then the two of them slow to a stop together. Together, um, and aircraft saved. All right, not by the way, not quite as much con- uh, a celebration as I might have expected at the end of this thing. But uh, um, and it, given it, the era, I'm inclined to believe that they really did this stunt. Um, and uh, oh, you mean for the TV show? Yeah, I, I think they absolutely did. Yeah. So, so here's maybe the first genuine existence proof we've come across of of this happening, right? Have we talked about actual instances of the people doing this in the past? Um, not with that size of airplane. Yeah. Okay. I think we've talked about it. Um, I know we've talked in the past about. I think it was a uh, Cessna RG or maybe a, um, a Piper Arrow where there was an episode years ago that was filmed, videotaped, whatever, of the pilot flying the airplane down close to the runway and a couple of guys in a convertible grabbed um, the, um, the hung-up gear leg and extended it into position. I think they might have used um, um, a tow bar, you know, or something like that to grab it. Um, but I have seen that film, that video. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how long ago that that occurred. It could have been the seventies. Yeah, David, do you have an example? No, I don't have one. Uh, I, uh, I think this little clip is interesting. It's obviously a TV show. Yeah, clips, I mean, clips uh, interesting. All the uh, all the uh, edits and cuts and the different camera angles and mm-hmm. that didn't that that wasn't like your uh, your iPhone filming guy standing out there and happens to catch right. It. This, no, no, this was yeah, yeah, this definitely is a, staged. But looks like it works. It's a shame we yeah. don't have you know. Uh, closed captioning or we don't have a, a translation or a transcript or something like that well because i i'm i want to disprove that yeah. one of the guys standing behind the guy in the control tower i want to disprove that he said i picked the wrong week to give up sniffing glue <laughs> <laughs> okay. there's no truth to that no, I, I'm, no, I, I, I'm 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 i'll put a tank 100 low lead on this there's no truth <laughs> to that rumor okay anyways um yeah, interesting piece of video. Thank you, Sergey. We appreciate it. And uh, um, and uh, it's uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah. It, it, it's the uh, you know the other the other airplane vehicle interaction on the runway thing, flying airplane interaction that comes to my mind is the one about that long distance flight that kept refueling by dropping a hose. Oh down. yeah, yeah. The the, um, the one that's in the. It's hanging in the airport at Las Vegas now. That's where it is. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's where they did it. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, yeah and, that's. And according to this clip uh, from uh, the aisle fourteen, uh, this uh, episode from "quote unquote" permit takeoff, which I believe must be the name of the series, mm-hmm. and about uh, 
a minute in, a little over a minute in, uh, there's a shot from a camera mounted on the belly of the fuselage that shows the landing gear coming down. Two of the three. <laughs> and they recycle it, and there's another shot from air to air from underneath that shows them extending the gear again, and still the right main is, like, mm. not coming down. Right. But what really struck me at making this drama was the exhausted relief sigh and collapse of everybody that was involved in this. Like, oh, thank God we pulled that off. <laughs> they, were that, and they were just happy they didn't have to do any more takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No, no. This is a nice piece. I, 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 yeah, it's too yeah, bad no. I couldn't. You know, I mean, say what you will about the Russians. All right, um, but they. One thing for sure, they can tell a good story, uh, and yes. I mean that in the best sense of the word. That sounds a little snippy, and I don't mean it that way. They, they are great storytellers. Um, always have been in terms of literature and everything. So, uh, very cool, very cool, Sergey. Thank you very much. Yeah, we appreciate th- this. Thank and, you. Uh, um, stay in touch. We, uh, we love hearing from people um, from from everywhere. What's next here? Uh, and then finally, we've got to follow up on the the L.A. guy in a jetpack story. Guy uh, in the jetpack. What? Now, why did you put you put this jab on this? I what's did. The, what's notable um, about well, this? A, we talked about it in a, yeah. in a previous episode. B, there's paperwork now. Uh, there's even a tweet from FBI Los Angeles um, that uh, they are investigating mm-hmm. reports of this jetpack. This this occurred on August thirty. Apparently, and and uh, FBI takes seriously events that threaten U.S. airspace and investigates alleged violations. Uh, but um, um, this website has uh, uh, done a FOIA uh, on uh, on this episode and has uh, Freedom of Information Act request. Freedom of Information Act request. Yes, Thank they you. did a FOIA on this, and they have paperwork of you know the internal memoranda, occurrence report, things like that. And um, it, I just I just threw that in there as a as a follow mm-hmm. up, you know. But, but now uh, I've yet to not that we know that much about what happened, but yeah. what little we heard about what happened, I didn't necessarily think that we heard of a law being broke, did we? Oh, depends on where they were. Yeah, my understanding is that they were far enough out that this was in um, certainly not restrict you know well let's, let's lowercase restricted airspace. Let's, let's back out of this. First of all, there's a an ADSB rule that within um, 30 miles of LAX or, or any other major airport like that, you have to have ADSB. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, again, it's not clear to me where this occurred. Um, but someone said somewhere in this, I think one of the aircraft was at like 3000 feet, um, inbound to LAX. If you're at 3000 feet inbound to LAX, you're well within the, uh, the Bravo actually. Uh, and this, this says, this says one of these things says, um, um, 10 miles out, um, for the two five left final. Okay. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. He's in the Bravo. He's in the Bravo. Yeah. Well, he may this, not be in this, the Bravo, but he's under the Bravo, and that makes it well, rural airspace. That makes it rural airspace, but he's probably in the Bravo. And, and this, this MOR copy, uh, um, mandatory occurrence report, um, that um, this website is, is thedrive.com, um, the copy they have says that it was in the Bravo airspace. So there, there's, your, there's your investigation. 
And <laughs> if you look at the uh, if you look at the terminal area chart, if they still make those for the uh, L.A. airport area, there's almost nothing between San Diego and uh, oh, what's the city up north? Santa Barbara. Thank you, Santa, San Diego and Santa Barbara. That is not rural airspace. I mean, yeah. there's almost nothing yeah. in there, there where you're not required to talk to somebody. Uh, that that I mean, I, I I hated even doing demo flights when we lived out there. Uh, yeah, get get us the hell away from here. Let take us to take us to Big Bear. Take us to Las Vegas. Take us someplace where it's simpler because. You couldn't really focus on learning about the airplane when everybody on the airplane's having to keep their head on a swivel looking for other traffic. Right. Yeah. Uh, it. Yeah. You mentioned Santa Barbara. I actually I forgot that I didn't put it on the list. There's an interesting story about Santa Barbara um, floating around right now. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. But uh, um, so the jetpack thing, the jetpack follow-up. I'm yeah, a little the, bit amazed. Yeah. That, I mean, we have paperwork now. It's definitely a thing. Is the punchline. So given that it's a thing, I'm surprised that we haven't figured it out yet. It doesn't seem like it ought to be that much of a mystery if, if the FBI is looking into it. I mean, well, um, I, I I don't know that. What yeah. are they going to do? They're going to they're going to. Uh, OK, I, 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 what are you going to do if you're the FBI? What are you going to you know, start skulking around uh, um, warehouses and, and, and airport hangars looking for somebody with a jetpack? I well, I don't okay. I don't know what the answer is. is yeah, the punchline. No, okay. I mean, all right, all right, okay. Yeah. But, so, anyways, well, so this is something that can be followed, right? There's now an investigation that will be reported there's, on. Eventually, there's now right? a formal investigation. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Okay. But right. uh, yeah, I just you know I just wanted to throw that in there. But uh, um, the the main and, and, thing, and law enforcement co- does not have the authority to just wander onto the airport and start having hangers open for them. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little. There, there's a procedure for that. It's called a search warrant. Yeah, no, I, 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 <laughs> and, well, no I've been through this. Been yeah, through this. Yeah, uh, yeah. Several years ago, when we still had an airplane at uh, Augusta, Kansas, uh, somebody from the county showed up and intimidated the poor young ramp guy into using his access to keys to open up every hanger on the field so that this guy could get a look inside and see what was in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goal being to make sure that they were getting uh, property tax from everybody that they were supposed to get property tax from. And when the ma- manager found out about it, uh, she she didn't call. She drove to the uh, county office where this guy worked and unloaded on him mm-hmm. uh, the, the the different laws that he'd violated, FAA regulations that he'd violated. Do it again, and I forget you will have you arrested. Well, I have the right to blah blah blah. You don't have a right to any of that. Those those are rented hangers. A rented hanger is the same as somebody's house. You got to get a search warrant or their permission to come into it, and. We found out about this when we got a property tax bill uh, that we hadn't been getting. And that forced us to go through some hoops uh, to reestablish the fact that 
our airplane was not subject to property tax on a different couple of bases, one of them being it was an antique. Uh, it was old enough to be exempt from property tax requirements in Kansas. Uh, but the one we used was that it was a business aircraft, and business aircraft were not subject to property tax by the Kansas law at the time. So... Uh, we didn't wind up writing a big check, but we did wind up in a hell of a paperwork exchange with those people trying to explain to them what the state law was and what the federal law was. And and it, nobody ever came to the airport again and started peeking into hangars without somebody's permission. Yeah. Well, that's, that was the big thing. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Not okay. that we had anything in there untoward. We'd just an airplane and a bunch of junk. But that's... Like it's always nice to have a chance, house. but it's always nice to have a chance to clean up, you know, before you have visitors, you know, before you. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, but the question on everybody's mind here. Yeah. Okay. Is yeah. How is Jack doing? <laughs> how is Jack doing? Uh, well, thank you for asking. Um, Jack's doing well. Jack's is, you know, I mean, it's same old, same old, right? It's life in the pandemic. And yeah. uh, um, so just, just plugging along here, uh, continuing to do a lot of iPhone programming. Having, I'm really enjoying that. I, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe we should talk about this in the post show, but um, I, you know, there, there was a time in my life, if you will, um, where I was deeply involved with the, the, the innards of personal computers with CPUs and operating system stuff. And and, and over the years, I kind of drifted away from that. And I, I continued I, to be what I would characterize as being a power user, but I, I didn't know a lot of the really deep down, you know, CPU stuff and that stuff. Um, and... Uh, um, in, in the last six months since I've started getting really into uh, iPhone programming, and also it has to do with the fact that Apple's in the process of doing a CPU, um, a really fundamental CPU change um, in the Apple architecture. And that's got me thinking about things. So I'm having fun learning much more about, uh, sort of returning to my old role as being a real serious low-level technologist. Jeb, you used to be that way too, right? Or still are in terms of, you used to be an overclocker. I've never been that. I, that, I did overclock. Uh, uh, that just always struck me as being, yeah. Well, I went through a few Pentium. Um, I don't. I, rem, I don't remember the specific brand name, but you could kind of tell when the overclocking had had reached its limit. Um, but I, the, my because the smoke gets out. right? Well, there's that. The smoke gets to, <laughs> tends to get out, but so, so do some bits and bytes on occasion. Um, but. Uh, uh, I, I yes and no is the quick answer. I mean, I used to dabble in in Turbo Pascal for anyone who who remembers that uh, yeah. that platform. I was always jealous uh, that we never we only towards the end we had a, sort of a version of Turbo Pascal on the Mac, uh-huh. but we never had it. Uh-huh. Yeah, Turbo Pascal was really cool back then. Yeah, um, but uh, I I don't really do that much uh, in the in the keyboarding uh, arena uh, anymore i i the, the computer i'm using right now and and the one is my the, my my desktop my main work computer is one i built up myself um, yes i think and, i was there that you you, you both of you were here yeah. yeah yeah we, we were both down there when all the parts yeah, started coming in yeah yeah and um except for uh a hard drive. It's been a very reliable machine. Yeah. So, and that's been what four or five years at least. Yeah. So, anyways, but anyways, we're talking about me here. So, we were talking about Jack. We weren't talking about my my so lack I'm, of skill at building computers. So, I'm having a good old time with the technology, with the iPhone programming, and learning about uh, how CP, modern CPUs, because man, they're different than the Z80 days. I'll tell oh you. man. Um, 
And uh, so I'm doing that. That's that's kind of fun. I'm, I'm having a good time with that and uh, uh, trying desperately to stay caught up with UCAP episodes. And I'm not doing a great job of that. I apologize. But uh, that, so I'm working on UCAP stuff um, and then basically just kind of trying to, you know, learn life, learn life, learn to live in this pandemic days. Um, it's uh, it's it's pretty up here. It's fall. Um, we haven't in, in New England, at least in Dover. Um, southern New Hampshire, we have not yet had our first frost. For me, that's a big milestone. Um, I, I always track when the first and last frosts are, last time it hits freezing for you Florida folks. We haven't had our first frost down yeah, here I know. yet and, and you may not, but you, we, sometimes you do. I know, sometimes. yeah. Um, the difference is that when we have our first frost, we go, ah, oh, fall. And when you have your first frost, you go, ah, you, you lose your minds down there. I've been there when it's happened. We, we go, damn, it's cold. Yeah, yeah. The foolish lizards start falling out of trees, and yeah. it's just a bad thing. Um, so uh, it's uh, it's fall. It's nice. Um, it's starting to get chilly, and uh, it's going to be a very very different. It's going to be a pandemic winter. Pandemic winter is coming. Um, so uh, so things are good. Things are good. when Before we have I- when we have a first frost here. You can hear the cheer from all the hay fever sufferers who now know that all that pollen is dead now and they can go about their lives breathing normally until next year. Is that what makes the difference? Because I've been, uh, see, this is one of the big pandemic things is that I apparently have had allergies forever and for a variety of reasons that I won't go into here. Um, they've not really um, evidenced themselves until this year and uh, and they're particularly bugging me the last few days and I thought it was over with, but you're saying it's first frost? That makes sense. Yeah. For, first frost is when the hay fever will really start to taper off. Hmm. Yep. Okay, well... All right then. You just All my life, me, you just made me a. a, a you made me. A, it's really. Dis, it's really sad when when a when a summer guy starts looking forward to first frost. Don't don't be pulling out any razor blades. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, <laughs> so I am not one hundred percent sure what that means, but no, I won't be doing that. Uh, anyways, that's what's going on in my world. Uh, keeping busy, uh, uh, doing a decent job of surviving the pandemic, and uh, looking forward to um, the recovery days, which are are coming. I see them off on the horizon, but. Uh, they're not quite here yet. Um, that light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. It's workmen building more tunnel. <laughs> yeah, please, please. Uh, before I return uh, control of your uh, television set, which that was a different show. That wasn't Twilight Zone. That was uh, um, That's what they said at the end, right? We now return control of your television device to you. Um, the, before I do that, uh, the, I out, say, the outer, outer limits. limits, outer, limits yeah. outer limits. I was going to uh, say Fox News, but that's okay. <laughs> if you like to uh, <laughs> see now, we don't do that. <laughs> we don't do that. Um, if, you, if in spite of what Jeb just said, if you folks like what we're doing, or here just take Fox, it out, Jack. <laughs> no, it's too difficult. It's all interweaved with other things people have said. Um, if you like what we're doing here with the podcast, please consider supporting us with a financial financial donation. Um, as little as a few dollars a month is a big, big help in covering the expenses of doing this podcast. You can send individual donations to the UCAP tip jar via PayPal. Uh, uh, thanks to recent PayPal supporters, Todd, Michael, and John for their PayPal uh, contributions. We appreciate that. Um, or you can become an automatic monthly supporter via the excellent and safe service Patreon. Uh, thank you to some of our, our recent Patreon supporters. Uh, thank you to Jim, Jonathan, and Patricia. Thanks to Mark 
Mark, Larry, Sergey, uh, and uh, also to Jan and Tim. And to everyone who supports us on Patreon, thank you. Uh, you folks are the best. Uh, for more information on, about providing automatic monthly support, check out patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace, or you can make a PayPal donation to the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. And if I did all that too quickly, you can get more information by clicking on the box in the right-hand column of the UCAP homepage. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com. Thank you, everyone. We appreciate it. What's next here? Uh, stuff we should all know about our hometown GA airports. Dave, I haven't actually looked at this link. What is it? The NBAA and AOPA tell the Dallas Morning News, don't overlook GA airports' value. Well, yeah. Um, what's this story about, David? Well, the uh, the newspaper ran a story that... Uh, from the perspective of those of us in GA, uh, created an inaccurate portrayal of general aviation airports as uh, drains on community and costing community money and all this stuff. And uh, the uh, two head guys at NBAA and AOPA jumped in with a uh, letter that corrected that. Those guys have two heads? Oh, I see what you mean. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And the uh, I'm gonna have to come up there. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, David. Continue, please. I'm sorry. The uh, letter that they sent and the data that they sent talked about the uh, the jobs that the airport support. In this particular case, the example was Addison Airport, uh, uh, in north of the uh, Dallas Metroplex. Uh, the numbers are pretty, pretty, uh, pretty stellar. Addison yeah. Airport supports 3,000 jobs, has an economic impact of nearly $500 million annually, uh, and public-use airports in Texas support more than 48,000 jobs and contribute more than $9 billion in economic output. Now, wherever you are, wherever you fly, your airplane, the airplane that you rent or own or borrow, is on an airport. Chances are it's a GA airport airport and this is knowledge that you should have at the tip of your fingers for that night at the bar when somebody tries to tell you why ga is a drain on the community and you can correct them with data like this uh it comes up from time to time and it's usually misinformed people yeah, I mean this is this is uh, um, good lick by uh, Mark Baker and Ed Bowen at AOPA and NBAA respectively. Um, airports are important to the local economies, um, and uh, we need not only do we need more of them, but we need uh, uh, the local governments to be supporting these economies. Uh, absolutely, when we've talked about this off and on over the years about the podcast, and uh, um, for me, the big thing is not, and there definitely is an economic positive net economic impact. Um, to me, the the big difference is uh, the big the plus that I always talk about is the uh, community you know help you know the 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 emergency service component of of a local airport Um, particularly when i lived in california in earthquake country um, more than once we saw situations where some sort of natural disaster was was uh, was uh, um, you know served by uh, the recovery from a natural disaster was served um, by using a local airport and so uh, Uh, that's um, why one of the first 
first things that local officials do after an earthquake or after a hurricane or tornado is get the runway cleaned off because emergency services can come in and bring food and medicine and doctors and yeah. uh, insurance people. Uh, and it, 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 they are an asset in the communities where they exist. Uh, some of them a major asset. Some of them just a minor asset, but important to all the people that use it and work at it and benefit from it. So learn yeah. lear, learn what it is about your hometown airport, what its impact is. Yeah, it, not only so that you're informed, but so that you can inform others, particularly people who aren't directly in the aviation world. Um, That's right. Nothing like winning a bet for a drink by having information that the other guy is completely ignorant of. Yeah, that's yeah. a story of my life. Um, okay, yeah. But uh, even private airports, right here in my little neck of the woods, um, we've had um, EMS helicopters come in mm-hmm. uh, and land on the runway to load um, for whatever reasons. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, it's, it's, you know, saving lives, doing whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, so um, good bit of information, David. Thank you. Appreciate for uh, pointing it out to us. And, uh, of course, there'll be the link will be in the show notes for people to take a look. All in a day's podcast. Yeah, all in a day's podcast. Full service podcast here, folks. Yeah. So uh, the administrator went flying. Uh, <laughs> this is, uh, you know, okay, I, I, I like this story on a number of different levels. I don't know. One of you may turn out to be the cynic here, all right? But I like this story on a couple. So ooh, what happened? Ooh, ooh, Mr. Cotter. Yeah, I know, right. I, I didn't want to name names, but that's what I figured about how I figured it would play out. Um, so, um, you know, uh, uh, the Boeing 737 MAX is still grounded, um, but getting closer and closer to returning to the skies. The Francisco Franco of... of yeah. Uh, of, of of aircraft right. uh, and uh and and clearly i mean i'm no obvious i'm not naive obviously this was a big publicity thing all right um the uh the administrator of the faa uh, uh conducted an evaluation flight um and the pictures i showed showed him in the in the left seat so uh, to the extent i'm going to be cynical about this the one thing i'm i'm questioning is the administrator of the FAA is really checked out in a 737 to fly the left I, seat. I believe that's correct. Yeah, he's. Yeah. He. Yeah. I think he has a type. He's a former airline pilot, and I okay. think he has a 73 type rating. And if he does have a later model type rating for the 73, then yeah, he's eligible to serve as PIC okay. in, that, in that airplane. So clearly, the FAA wants to demonstrate that the uh, 737 is is safe and and or you know and is 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 you know deserving of of returning into flight service. And so they did a thing where they, now the story I have posted here is actually from before. He said that he's going to do this thing, but apparently it's been it's it's happened right. Um, this this flight took place, um, and because uh, I think I've seen a story that, sh- that talked. About it after oh, the fact. He, and and he got some sim time before the real. Okay, well that's smart too. That's smart too. So his, uh, his bio at FAA website says uh, he's former Delta um, uh, director of global flight operations or senior vice president of flight operations for Delta Airlines. Uh, he flew in line operations as an A320 captain, and previously flew the 727, 737, 757, and 767. What that tells me is he never made captain on the 73, but he was a captain on the 320. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, 
So anyways, I like this story. I, I think, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's smart marketing. It's, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of ple- pleasure. I don't know what the right word is, but that, that, that we have an administrator who actually can fly airplanes, which is not always the case. Not always the case. Uh, um, and so, so you know, I, I, mean, I kind of like got a little warm fuzzy about that <laughs> story uh, in the best way. I mean that. Um, I'm so, not going there. Okay. Well, where will you go, Jeb? Um, what do you think about this? Or David? Oh, it's a pure PR stunt. Of course, it's a PR stunt, but you know, I mean, it's a good PR stunt. It's done well, and uh, and 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 it's not, you know, I, I, you know, it's a PR stunt, but it's not a cynical PR stunt. They're trying to revive this airplane, which, well, okay, yeah. I don't disagree with that, and and you know, the, uh, there's so much I want to say, but um, <laughs> yeah, um, one of the things that I caught in the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Um, is that um, he still wouldn't sign off on the airplane. He says, you know, we're, we're not quite ready yet. Well, then what was the purpose of the stunt? Well, the timing may have been wrong. You're right. That, that's an interesting point. You know, but, fly, yeah. it, fly it the day before or the day of, you give it its walking papers or you give it its, its uh, uh, airworthiness certificate back. Um, you know, hey, I just flew the airplane. It's great. Here, I'm signing the paperwork now. Yeah. Well, that kind of thing. So, but that looks a little phony too, you know. It's kind of like, uh, well, I'm not sure which is looks phonier. To be honest with you, but never mind. Okay, so David, what do you think about the administrator flying the airplane? Well, I uh, I think it was necessary, uh, absolutely necessary. First off, uh, a long time ago, and this saga has been going on for what 18 months. Uh, yeah, coming up on two years since the first crashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. And a uh, long time ago, the administrator said that uh, he would himself fly the airplane before it was returned to, approved for return to service. So, you know, from the perspective of promise made, promise kept, he's fulfilled a, a promise. That's a good thing. Was it a publicity stunt? Uh, absolutely, unless the guy was there to do some data taking for the return to service flight tests. Uh, but it was a good PR stunt. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has some, some value in that here's a guy who really knows the business, knows his way around the cockpit, getting some time in an airplane that's uh, had a troubled uh, history. Uh, did that get it to the point of coming back to service no there's still a lot that the faa wants to get clear on and they are also working with other regulators from other countries who uh, have grounded the airplane themselves canada the european union uh brazil uh there's a lot that's going to go into this return to service and there's a lot of at stake and I think the last thing any of these airworthiness authorities want to have happen is say, yep, yep, we're good to go. You can start putting them back into service, which is uh, problematic. And be- there's going to be a whole lot of pilots going to need to be brought up to speed and uh, uh, recurrent training for them uh, before that happens. But t- to have some little glitch come along, right after you return it to service will doom this airplane forever. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's definitely got to be smooth. No question about it. Yeah, it's got to be smooth. I don't don't disagree with anything you just said. Um, 
except? Well, I would simply point out that I'm not sure that the return of the 7-3 is going to make or break uh, any airlines. Uh, it's going to make or break Boeing. Yeah. But given the um, s- severe downturn right. in passenger demand over the last several months, um, and airlines have been doing fine making do with what they have, A, mm-hmm. B, they've been retiring a number of aircraft or just parking them because the demand is not sufficient to keep them up and running every right. day. Um all of a sudden now we're going to have a glut of, I don't know how many hundreds of, of 737 Maxes that are ready to go again. Big whoop. Who's going to be flying them? Yeah. That's that. I mean, how, yeah, that's a big question, but that's kind of separate, but the same. But anyways, okay. Well, it, well, well and if the airlines finances force them to go through these layoffs that they've been talking about, uh, Getting the uh, getting the uh, airline system back to a hundred percent is going to be a monumental problem. It's, all it's a fantasy, are- also, because the airline industry is not going to get back to what it was on January one. No, it's in, not. In, in part because um, right now the whole idea of going to an office and and uh, working in that office has been upended. Uh, and as a consequence, the whole idea of business travel um, has been upended. Um, vacation travel, uh, personal travel, is is probably more viable right now. But there's nothing open to go to. Disney's shutting back down, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of examples. You can travel anywhere you want, but there's nothing open when you get there. Yeah. I mean, it's not that there's nothing, but I, I, I'm, being, well I'm, being, I'm exaggerating. Yeah, right. Yeah, Disney definitely, obviously, they, they're having big problems. I think the big, it's the great group group gathering things that are still struggling. Yeah. Um, apparently, a lot more and more. I, I, I hear from a lot of friends who are going off to various hotel resorts, you know. So if you can, you know, it, it seems that people who are doing, um, you know, sort of personal trip vacations um you know resorts are are open a little bit you know things like that but it's the group things i mean that's i I work in the group gathering industry yeah no and uh and we're largely out of business now still so anyways yeah so they don't need the 737 max somewhere in here i don't think it's on the quote the list you massage jack but somewhere in here has just been yesterday the day before the nbaa announced its virtual convention yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, which is going to be a deal. Uh, it'll be r- extremely interesting to see how they pull this off. Yeah. Uh, but they're doing like a two-day online-only uh, virtual um, Business Aviation Association convention. And um, it, as I say, it'll be a deal. It's um, I don't know if it's free to, to for anybody. Dave and I are members of the association, so it's free to us. But um, it, it'll be interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, a lot of organizations are doing that. Um, uh, and a lot of organizations are having a lot of success with these online conferences. Um, I've, I've quote unquote, attended a, a, a bunch of them myself, um, both because I'm involved with the subject matter and also because I'm kind of paying attention to that industry. Um, and uh, there are elements of these conferences that are actually um, turning out to be superior in the yeah. online format. Yeah. Um, but there are also components of these conferences that are really, really missed by an online version. Yeah, the, the principal one being the ability to network. 
Yeah, and that's yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and and no one should minimize the importance of that corridor networking. Um, I would argue that it's as much as half of uh, I would of, I would too of the value of a conference. Um, keep keep is, in mind also that a lot of organizations out there that have um, in person events, trade shows, uh, seminars, things like this, um, that can be a substantial part of their annual income. Yeah, and not having them, yeah, is a major hit on some right. of these organizations, yeah. and it's um, it's significant enough that some of these organizations may not exist in the same fashion in in a few months or a few mm-hmm. years oh, if if things continue. I think I don't think it'll be years, but um, if and when. Um, seminars, conventions, events like 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 you're talking about, Jack. If and when they come back, they're not going to be the same. They certainly won't be the first time they come back. No, um, and uh, not, so, but anyway, yeah. not exactly an aviation podcast subject. Uh, well, it is and it isn't. We're talking aviation trade shows, and yeah. you know, we we got our we got our start at Oshkosh, and Oshkosh didn't happen this year for exactly that same reason. So. <sighs> Welcome to 2020. But uh, enough of that. I want to know what Dave's been up to. I want to know what Dave's been up to, too. David, what have you been up to? What's going on? Uh, Pretty much SOP for this time of the month. Uh, That that sounded weird. Uh, No, no, I I get it. Well, yeah, okay. I mean, mean, every month I've got, at a minimum, coming out, you know, when they flip the calendar page, I'm looking at uh, deadlines for four to five projects yep uh this month is as a little bit exceptional in that i've got six in the works and and am trolling for a, another uh trying to uh trying to make up from lost ground from these uh shows that we haven't been able to go to right by plugging into some of my better sources for no good reason than to make personal contact, find out how their lives are going. It's something that is easy when you got five or six events a year to go to, and that's where you see all these people. Uh, so that's the missing element right now, and uh, so I'm, I'm trying in my own way to uh, uh, prime that pump a little bit more. Uh, no expectations out of it it's not like i expect to make money or get work but mostly just to keep the lines of communication open and hey do remember we're out here they're out there we're out here and uh that that kind of stuff that kind of memory can get lost pretty quickly uh, when you have this much uh separation as we have uh when you have no events to go to when you go from five or six or seven in a year to zero in a year uh it it has an impact on several different levels and you know i'm not being a crybaby i'm not remotely alone in this you guys know you guys are in it millions of us are in the same shape so just trying to keep uh trying to find ways to keep some uh some lines open and some communications going and uh and missing the fact that I can't just bop downtown and go into uh, the NASA building like I used to. Uh, I imagine that's some interesting place these days. Yeah. Yeah. used to be able to walk around the FAA building. 
Yeah. Um, uh, back before 9-11, you could just you could go through security. So, oh, so yeah. I, sign in for the library, which was basically public access. Sign in for the library, go in there and check some of the, the editions of the, the, the latest editions of various publications, and mm-hmm. then wander up to the eighth floor and try to buttonhole the administrator. It was great. You know. Yeah, the good old days. The good old uh, days. When we were young and naive. Um, oh, when I still worked in D.C., there wasn't a week go by that I didn't stick my head on the 8th floor yeah. and the 10th floor uh, where NTSB was. Yeah. And I think it, it, it and invariably I would see at least one executive assistant and one board member every, every time I went in there. And I never knew who it was going to be when I went in there. I was just going to go say hello to the PR people, pick up some documents from the uh, docket, and, uh, oh, how you doing, member so-and-so? Uh-huh. And uh, what brings you in here? Well, I just came in to pick up some paperwork. I always had a piece of paperwork to pick up. So it- <laughs> <laughs> that's my story. And yeah, I'm that's right, absolutely right. And here it is, right here. Um, but yeah. And then uh, other days, I'd, uh, I'd, uh, oh, once or twice a month, I would m- arrange to meet a source for lunch. And it was always a, a dangerous thing for them to do. Uh, it getting caught meeting with a reporter yeah so no, I, I get it i always picked the least likely place in all of the district of columbia where we're likely to run into any of their co-workers or even anybody they know and that would be the cafeteria at the air and space museum Interesting. really interesting yep that's where they don't go, huh? Okay. All right. Well, now, all right. Yeah, the, the real suits aren't, they're, they're not going to go in there and stand in line. And, uh, I guess. I guess. And, huh? and the chances are they've got their own food service in the building where they were. Yeah. They mm-hmm. might not even have to leave the building. But get these suits out where they're going to mix with tourists and their screaming kids and all that. Not a chance in hell. Yeah. And that was the most reliable. And the least reliable place was where a lot of the sources always wanted to go, and that was the Post Pub, yeah. a little bar not far from the Washington Post. And like, dude, you're guaranteed we're going to see other reporters. <laughs> yeah, you get it's your picture freaking, taken when you go in and when you come out. Yeah, it's right. the freaking Post Pub. You could bump into Bob Woodward there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, okay. All right. Well, listen, we got to move along here, but uh, that's all pretty interesting stuff. Um, so, Jeb, you, uh, this article uh, proves that high wing is the better configuration for an aircraft, right? In, in this writer's opinion. Well, that's why you posted and, it on the... And if yeah. you use the criteria of how do birds do it. Okay. okay. Uh, they have how, a little how, bit of experience how, how on birds, this How birds evolved. Now, yes. Yes, and, 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 and no. Um, the thing about the, the anatomical structure of a bird is the, uh, the wings are analogous to your and my shoulders and arms, okay? Yeah. Which are basically at the upper part of our body. That's where the musculature is. Right. And that's uh, why the wings on birds and, and, I don't know, dinosaurs, pterodactyls, um, generally, if not always, were attached to the upper part of the body so that they could take better advantage of the muscles in that part of the body. 
that doesn't translate because basically because we're not flapping the wings of my bonanza, my debonair. Basically, that doesn't apply. Yep. But see, no, no. See, I've always uh, one of the things that I've always found comforting about a high wing aircraft versus a low wing aircraft is that the high wing aircraft gives me the feel of having much better positive stability. Um, that it wants to stay upright. You're doing it wrong. How's that? Um, because well, I, I understand the sensation. Let me put yeah. it that way. Um, you're you're below the wings. And the way the CG works and, and, and all that kind of thing, um, the, um, I don't know, how, you feel kind of suspended from the wings. And, yes. And for some reason, that seems to be a bit natural. Yes. Uh, as opposed to sitting on top of the wings. Okay. Um, but, um, in, in the, you know, A, it doesn't really matter except for certain, you know, special, special operations like bush operations or, or float planes or, or something like that where having a high wing is, is, um, utilitarian, if you will. It's, it's advantageous to have a high wing as opposed to a low wing airplane. But generally for day to day, uh, I'm going to fly off to grandma's, um, it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, David, I've always felt like the, uh, the, the both high wings and low wings have their purpose. Thank you. There, there are, are missions and, and situations for which one is better than the other. But having said that, in terms of general operations, and, and that, 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 I put actual work into this years ago, I found that. And strong crosswinds, which are a frequent occurrence here in Kansas, that the low-wing airplane gives you more latitude when you're trying to net negotiate between the airplane and the wind and the ground to get it down without dragging a tip. Mm-hmm. Uh, the air can get under a high-wing airplane in a crosswind and make it harder to keep that upwind wing in place uh, it also tends to want to push the airplane sideways more with a low wing most of that air goes over the top of the fuselage and disappears both have their crosswind technique requirements and they're i'd say 90 percent similar but uh some friends of mine had decided that they were going to test this. This is years ago, back when I was still at the Eagle. And uh, uh, they went out on a strong crosswind day and proceeded to torture their airplanes with crosswind approaches uh, pretty much at the limits of the demonstrated capability of the airplanes there. And what we found out was that it was a little easier to manage the low wing, particularly that last 50 feet when you're down in ground effect, than the high wing. And that the high wing ran out of uh, crosswind capability uh, two or three knots sooner than the low wing. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't begin to claim this was all scientific, and we used my Comanche as one of the low wing demonstrations on it. And I never ran out of the ability to land in a crosswind. And we're talking 
low 20s, gusting 30s. It was not pretty. It's not something I'd want to torture my nose wheel through very often. But uh, it was a little easier for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah. No, David. So that's that's my take. Well, so and and you have a lot of a different experience in different kinds of aircraft, David. What what, what's it like? What was it like flying a a a low wing hang glider? Well, that's funny. Uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. Nobody can see the big smile on my face. Yeah, there were there were mid wing hang gliders uh, like the uh, uh, Casper wing. Well, not the Casper wing. uh, The Mitchell, the Mitchell wing. Uh, you actually sat in the middle of the wing on that one. Your foot launched, you pulled your feet up and folded a little door closed. But that was a rigid wing hang glider. I don't know of any low wing flex wings. Mm-hmm. They're all high wings. And yeah, okay. you're, you're hanging beneath them. Uh, hence the, 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 the label hang gliding. Okay. Uh, but the... Uh, How about low wing parachuting? <laughs> no, okay. Never mind. Okay, I'm just being. We, we are going to have to. Do, we're going to have to do an intervention. Right? Yeah, I know, right? Okay. You, you you could probably do that once. All I know is that birds have been experimenting with wing configuration for millions of years. All right, and they concluded that high wing was superior. That's all. Well, I'm saying. if you look at some predatory birds, there are a number of predatory birds that, looking at them head on, are mid wing. Yeah. They're not high wing. They're not low wing. They're mid wing. Are right, you going to send me a picture, and uh, um, we'll maybe talk about it next time. We're really running out of time here. What's oh uh, Jeb? Jeb, what's going on? How are you? <laughs> oh, We're I'm, just going to skip you this week, Jeb. I'm just listening. Week. I'm you know I'm just kind of here, um, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, I'm you know basking again in the glow of uh, getting another issue of the magazine in the can. Uh, so that's uh, that's good. I'm trying to pick up the pieces of stuff that I had to put aside, and that's not good. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Talk to me in a week, and and uh, we'll see uh, uh, if I'm surviving. Mm-hmm. Is it still rain down there? Yeah, it, it, it didn't rain yesterday for the first time, and pick a number. Um, today it's I don't know what it's going to do today. Um, it's October. There's another hurricane in the Gulf. Um, it's going to be in the mid nineties, and I'm just tired of this right now. Okay. So, I'm, you know, you know, we'd be glad to take some of it up here. We're literally in an in an emergency drought. I mean, it's a really bad drought. Yeah, up here. and uh, uh, I've I've got standing water in places in the yard still, but it hasn't been as bad as it was say a month or so ago. Yeah, okay. um, the grass is getting very long, and uh, I've been kind of cooped up in the house on work, and so that's going to be a challenge here for the weekend. So we'll we'll see what happens. Talk to mm-hmm. me next week. Okay. Okay. Um, finally, we've got this guy who's did, apparently somebody did a pole to pole circumnavigation. I did a basically a polar orbit. I don't know what to call it. Um, this is not your buddy. Wasn't your buddy Jeb going to do a, some sort? He's of- talked about it. This is not him. Yeah. Um, this guy's. Your, na- wait, what's your buddy's name? Um, Al Icorn. Okay. Yep. And he did a he did a uh, around uh, the world east east west around the world. Right. He, he was eastbound. Yeah. Yeah, but he did a yeah that that way horizontal. I don't know how to put it, you know, but that that kind of thing. Um, but this, equatorial, perhaps. Equ- thank you. There we go. That's a good word. But this guy, whose name is, is uh, um, Robert, Robert De yeah, Robert DeLaurentis. Robert yeah. DeLaurentis yeah. um, took a, uh, what a looks Commander like a, six ninety. Yeah, 
Um, Which is an odd, I don't say it's an odd choice. It's an interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he did a, 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 a poll to poll. Um, so it's, you know, he started out in, I'm sorry, I'm kind of, I've read this story in, uh, but a while ago, he started like in what, San Diego or something like San that. San Diego right? sounds right. Yeah. He's a San uh, Diego pilot. So, Hey, why, why not? Right. Yeah. It's here someplace. Hang on here. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's a big story. Um, uh, good for him. Quite a, quite an accomplishment. Um, uh, nicely masked up in this picture of, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. him and his, apparently his support crew. Um, and uh, was this solo though? This aircraft could have hold me. Sorry, nine months and several pandemic pauses after take. Oh, so he took a while. Ah, okay. That's the interesting he thing. Here. He didn't do it all in one day. It wasn't sure. sort of a all, I mean, it never, it's, it almost certainly wouldn't have been nonstop, but you could have done it somewhat uninterrupted. Um, but he didn't. He took nine months and several pandemic pauses uh, for a, he planned it to be a five month global pole to pole peace mission is what they, he called it. San Diego pilot and formal na- former naval officer Robert De Laurentiis has returned home in his highly modified 1983 twin engine citizen of the world is the name of his air- aircraft. It's a, tur- uh, it's a turbine commander. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he, uh, I mean that's a thing. That's great. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, uh, I'd, you know, man, I would get, I would get flying over one of the poles would give me such automatic rough. I don't even know where I'd go with oh, that. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, it's just kind of like, all right, where am I going to land now? Oh really? All right, you know. So well, I have cell service. <laughs> well, we we had him on uh, Sun and Fun Radio uh, in 2019. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. What was he like? Uh, so in 2019, was he in the midst of this flight at that time, or what? what? It, it, it was uh, in preparation. Okay, and and he was getting ready to leave on it later that year, and uh, uh, lots of things interrupted, but he uh, he managed to pull it off. Mm-hmm. And Turbine uh, Commander 900. Boy, there are not a lot of those out there. There's not. Not anymore. It used to be more of them. This one, according to this article, he began his trip on uh, November 16, 2019, from San Diego. Okay. And returned to San Diego eight months and 24 days later on August 10. Okay, so he began, he began it before the pandemic really it, got it, going. Down here later in the story, it says he was quarantined in Spain uh-huh. during the trip. Now... I'm I'm not God's gift to navigation. Yeah. Okay. But if you're leaving San Diego and you're going to the North Pole, why are you in Spain? Yeah, I was trying to picture that myself here. I'm um, not Fred Noonan here, so I'm just saying, you know. Mm-hmm. What was the question? Why are you? If you go north or south from San Diego, the other side of the world is going to be... Spain. Well, it's too bad I don't have a device here. That's a shame. Hang on. Let's see if I can do In this. this day and age. Hanging up on you guys. If I go to here, and if I go to Google Earth, uh, not not Google Earth, maps. Uh, well, he went south. He went south from San Diego? Yep. Oh, that's he true. He, that's, he flew to the South Pole, Perth. Yeah, right. The South Pole, Dis- Perth. December um, 16th yeah. and 17th of 2019. Yeah. And then he uh, uh, overflew the true North Pole, the magnetic North Pole, and the North Pole of inaccessibility on right. July 13th. I've got to Google North Pole of inaccessibility. 
Okay. So I'm now looking at um, Google Maps in a, in a browser. Because window. I think I dated her. Um. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's in globe mode here. So if I go south, first of all, if I go south from San Diego, you immediately go over a whole lot of ocean. So I would imagine maybe he followed the coastline. Oh, I see. I all see. Right? And so then if you cross Antarctica, um, if you were to be the other side of the earth from from north from from the americas let's say you come down through russia you you sort of somewhere in the sweden finland area edge of russia kazakh uh, turkmenistan afghanistan and then uh, the so, so so i don't know i mean you know it, did, it, did he it, stop at the Afghanistan banana stand? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm. I'm, I'm I don't want to be disrespectful because I'm stupid and can't pronounce these country names. Um, you know. So he chose to follow the 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 you know the shoreline of the uh, of these continents. Maybe I don't know. Um, well, he had to have Boku fuel to 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 make it from South America and over the South Pole. And yeah, those Garrett's are not without landing. Yeah, those Garrett's are are thirsty for their size. Yeah. Yeah. Um you should put those big big tanks like the ugly airplane had on. Well, I'm sure he had something um in the fuselage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, well, yeah, but, I sure wouldn't want to dirty up the outside of this airplane. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. So the north, and, the North Pole, oh, the the poles of inaccessibility. There are there's a North Pole of inaccessibility and a South Pole of inaccessibility. I don't know what does that mean. And 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 um, Wikipedia says that it the term most often refers to the most distant point from the coastline. Imply, uh, okay. imply maximum is be over you know the north or south pole region, but as far from any landmass as you can be, equidistant. And that gotcha. that is apparently. I'm sorry. Did you say south pole? Both. There's a south. If you're over the south pole, southern you're pole, over a landmass. I don't understand what. Okay, the, 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 the variety of coordinates have been given. Discrepancies are due to question where the coast is measured. Blah, 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 blah. Um, I don't. I'm not an expert on this, and I'm not going to regurgitate a bunch of Wikipedia okay. at you. I'll have to look but, at that uh, later on. Um, the, the Arctic Pole, the North Pole, or Arctic Pole of inaccessibility, is located in the on the Arctic Ocean pack ice at, at a distance farthest from any landmass. It is 626 nautical miles from the three closest landmasses. I see. Yes, that's the spot. Yeah, it's like we're definitely out there now. It's, but you know, when you're there, you can just turn any direction you like, and 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 that's the shortest distance home. Well, it sounds like there'd be three directions in which you'd want to go. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. This is going to require more and more, you, more you, research. I'll you, take a look. You at better this later turn on. the right direction, or you'll be getting farther away from home. Yeah. Um, just to conclude this, I, I will. I will finally. Um, I, I will observe that this gentleman uh, who uh, uh, decided to fly uh, all the way around the world chose to do it in a high wing airplane. That's all I'm going to say about that. <sighs> 
<laughs> Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It's always fun getting together and talking with you, especially when I can make Jeb make that noise. It just makes my day. Uh, that's Jeb Burnside. Jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. He's also a regular contributor to other aviation publications. Online, you can find Jeb's work at AviationSafetyMagazine.com. His magazine is on Twitter at AvSafetyMag, and you can find Jeb's other work at places like AEA.net, AvWeb.com, and on Twitter, he's BurnsideJ. No, he doesn't want to jump in. Dave Higgin is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. You can find his work online at places like abbuyer.com and aea.net. On Twitter, he is Real Higdon. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most places using the all-one-word username Jack Hodgson. For example, Twitter.com Jack Hodgson, YouTube Jack Hodgson, Patreon Jack Hodgson. You can find my eBooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the book section, and uh, you can sign up for my email newsletter at jackhodgson.com. Hey, David, was there something you wanted to tell us? You know, getting old is not for sissies, but it's worth the effort. Uh, and the best way to stay old, get old, keep going is go flying because, you know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And let's remember that a good pilot is always learning. This podcast is subject to the following terms and conditions. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. All right. A uh, couple more minutes. Don't and make me come up there. <laughs> <laughs> See, more editing. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, what's going on? What did I want to ask you guys about? I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, so BMWs. So I, I take note that both of you seem to love this BMW. And I, and I acknowledge that BMWs are great cars, but there are lots of great cars. Yeah. Um, and, and so, Jeb, you own currently two of them uh-huh. um and dave you apparently owned one after another right you had I'm, one i've, I've and then owned you, two I'm, I'm, I'm on my second yeah because you and, and you literally replaced one with another one right yes what makes a bmw stand out for you guys i'm just kind of curious uh, they look kind of cool, I will admit. I, I going way back, um, I, I had always used to admire. In my particular case, I admired what I believe is called the three series BMW, uh-huh. uh, which um, yeah. I don't know if they still make the three series. They, but they, they make a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, I believe. Oh, yeah. really? Yes. For some reason, I want to say that when I first started noticing the three series, there was basically three series and four series. This would go back like 20 years. Does that make three sense? Three and five back then. Three and five, excuse me. And, um, and, and, and it was all my really, my friends who had more money than me and or were willing to spend more of it on cars um, were all buying five series um, BMWs. Um, and, and although I didn't, dislike the 5 Series. For some reason, I liked the lines of the 3 Series. Um, and I always said to myself, that's the car I would buy. Oh, they were very popular. Yeah? Um, oh, yeah. But now, so David, you had... You, I, had wh- I, I had a 328 Xi Coupe, sports yeah. coupe, two-door. Uh, now I have a 435i Coupe, uh, also two-door. 
Uh, and what I liked about the first coop and this one is their performance orientation. Uh, the amount of effort put into making them very good handling cars, uh, very nimble on their feet, mm-hmm. uh, uh, with a lot of pep. And uh, my first one, the 328XI, was a naturally aspirated three-liter uh, six-cylinder. Uh, the car was perfectly balanced. I mean, weight distribution, 50-50, nose to tail. Uh, and it felt like it was on rails when I get on a twisty road. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I traded it in for what I have now, a 435i with the, the X-Drive like the uh, 328 had. That's BMW's all-wheel drive system. Uh, 60% rear wheel, 40% front wheel with traction control built in. Uh, the 435i that I'm driving now is holy crap fast. Yeah. Uh, it's got a uh, 300 horsepower turbocharged intercooled six-cylinder with variable cam timing, uh, variable lift, uh an eight-speed automatic uh, that I can move into a manual shift mode, and there are paddles on the steering wheel for upshift and downshift. Mm-hmm. Uh, this car is lower, longer, and wider than the first coupe I had. Hmm. About two inches in all directions. Yeah. I know uh, what you mean about the wants to go fast. So I had occasion, Jeb, to drive one of yours. You you have two currently. I two. do. Um, and and I and I and you needed me to help you with an errand when I was there last mm-hmm. time. And so I drove the uh, sedan, the black one. What model is that? That's a 540i. All right. Uh, and so I drove that car. Uh, and, uh, and man, oh, man, that car wants to go fast. I'll tell you. I was just driving down a couple of those roads. We were headed into town and uh um it's smooth and comfy and 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 you could just feel that this car wants to go fast um it was pleasant i i, I definitely enjoyed it um it you know it, it's a uh, manual transmission which i've driven a lot of manual transmission in my life but not recently and so it was a little bit of a you know kind of uh, getting back into the saddle kind of thing sure. but once i started to get comfortable um it was fun car to drive that, that was kind of nice um your other bmw not only have i not driven I really, really scared of getting. I don't want to get close enough where if I tripped and fell, I'd fall on it. I really, cause it's a beautiful car. It's a beautiful car. Um, the, Jeb. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, uh, Z, uh, Z three that you've got, yeah. that's a three liter inline six, it's a 3.2 liter inline six, 3.2. Okay. 3.2. And it pulls what? 315 horsepower. Yeah. Same engine in, a, in the M3 pulls 325. Uh, the difference is the exhaust system. Mm hmm. Okay. And I'm, I'm pulling 310. Yeah. And yeah. 300 pounds of torque. Yeah. And I was looking at some specs on it the other day. Uh, and it, you get. All three hundred pounds of uh, three hundred plus pounds of torque at twelve hundred RPM. I know, I know. That's well, straight. Really? Like, that's, holy that's, crap! That straight six is is uh, the one in my Z in my M Roadster. The Z three is is uh, 
it's tuned to rev high. It, the red lines at like seven thousand RPM. Yeah, um, so does mine. Yeah, but yeah, it's just got gobs of torque. You can you're you're doing forty miles an hour in top gear, and you want to pass somebody. All you have to do is put the foot down a little bit. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's a cool car. Um, and and I, I although I've never dri- I have ridden in that car, and it's a lot of fun to ride in. But uh, I joke, but I, it's a beautiful car, and I really don't ever want to hurt it in any way, shape, or point form. So I stay. I give it. I literally give it distance when I walk through your garage. Um, what do you, Jeb? I didn't give you a chance. So what? What about BMW in general? Is, is you find appealing? Well, the performance, uh, the handling. Mm-hmm. Um, I years ago, as, as both of you know, I bought a, a Taurus SHO. Uh, brand new back in the nineties, and uh, one of the reasons, I, I, I drove that. Yeah, that was that. That was a hustling car. Yeah, one of the reasons I, I bought that was I, wanted, I needed a, a four door car. I wanted a four door car at the time. I needed a four door car, and uh, but I also wanted something in the way of uh, uh, being more engaged with the actual driving of the vehicle. Um, so I wanted a stick, um, and. I wasn't real happy with uh, uh, some of the offerings out there. I looked at, at a contemporary Saab. I looked at a contemporary Nissan. Um, yeah, I didn't really look at BMWs because I just didn't have the change uh, uh, for that at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Taurus SHO had pretty much everything I wanted uh, and turned out to be a really good choice. It was a very fun car. It was easy to drive. It was fast as a thief, uh, handled well, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and I kept that car until just recently I, f- uh, I got rid of it. Uh, it was – I got to the point where I either needed to get rid of the car – or I needed to put some money into it. And I sat back and I started thinking about how much money it's going to take. And a lot of the work I could do myself, but I still need, you know, some tools and, and, uh, some stuff I'd have to send out, yada, yada, yada. And I figured, you know, it was going to be about 10 grand to get that car back to what it used to be and, and maybe even, you know, add some mods to it and things like that. And I could buy a, a good used 540i for the same 10 grand. Mm hmm. And get a completely different car, a much better car, a much newer car, as far as calendar years were concerned. And that's what I ended up doing. And mm-hmm. it was a great choice because the 540i is, is, uh, uh, just a, an order of magnitude better than the SHO ever used to be. Okay. What, what year is the 540? It's a 02. 02? Yeah. It was the next to last year for that model. And, it happens to be because they did some funky things in the 03 model year and the engine in the 02 is puts out more horsepower than the engine in the 01 version the 02 of that model is the is the most desirable that's pretty interesting thank you but and i think so, we're unless you've got get, something to add I'm, no i, I, I get david I get i get so much feedback from this coupe yeah uh I, I, i'm serious i, I I'll I'll be at an intersection, and the guy next to me will roll down his window, and he goes, "Nice looking car, man." I was like, "Whoa, thanks." I I was at a gas station, I don't know, a couple of years ago, just getting some gas in the, in the in the five forty, and this guy comes up and says, "Wow, man, I haven't seen one of these in a while. Do you mind if I take some pictures?" <laughs> and I'm like, oh, dude, you know, knock yourself out. I was on the interstate in Tampa a couple of weeks ago, right around dusk. And uh, there was this guy in his hotted up Camaro, new model Camaro. 
and um, he goes smoking by me and then pulls over in the right lane and I I go around him just as I'm going around him he puts his clutch he puts his clutch in and revs his engine up kind of as a salute and I just go right motoring right on by him <laughs> and I'm like you know god come on guys this is a almost a 20 year old car get a grip but um well it, it is what it is it is what it is well this uh I was smitten by this car it was sitting on a lot a car, a used car lot and I was in the 328, just finishing some errands and headed south to get back toward the house. And uh, saw this thing sitting on the lot and couldn't turn there. I went down a couple of blocks, turned around, came back and pulled in and uh, took a look around it and guy came out and unlocked it for me and opened it up and it's like popped the trunk and it's got four inches more trunk than my than the one i'm driving at the at that time and like is this thing bigger than mine he goes oh yeah they uh when they went to the 435 they this replaced what you what you're driving the wheelbase is two inches longer uh the roof line is an inch and a half lower uh, the front track is 60.8 inches. The rear track is 62.8 inches. Wheelbase is two and a half inches longer than a Mustang. Uh, 3,700 pounds. And the uh, dual scroll turbocharging system, as they call it. Man, you can feel it when it kicks in. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. And it kicks in quick. Uh, I can I can break I can break speed limit a highway speed limit getting across two intersections in downtown Wichita. Uh, nice. Yeah, and it I, gets great great gas mileage. That's that's got to be the eight speed. I, I was winding out to five forty last week on a on a side road. And um, it would get a hundred and fourth, and it's got six speeds. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. 